Welcome, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, Special Memorial Day edition. This is Steve Larchuk, your host and producer of the show, and an attorney and healthcare advocate for a very long time. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world class web hosting and domain registration, pair.com. That's P A I R.com. Now, this program is devoted to the one issue that affects every American, every business, every student, every one of us, healthcare. And here, unlike a lot of radio and TV stations or, or talk news, we dare to be reasonable. What that means is we understand that other people have points of view, and just because it's not necessarily our point of view doesn't mean they're wrong. We dare to be reasonable. We dare to accept other points of view and maybe even agree with them. And if we don't start doing that as a nation, we're not going to get anywhere. So we're going to try and walk the walk here in this program, and we've been doing so for quite some time. And more and more stations are joining us every week. We're currently being heard from Massachusetts to California to Arkansas, Vermont, North Carolina, and we thank all those stations because they are also stepping up. They're carrying programming that may run contrary to their standard uh, fare, their standard feed, but we all have to do that. And to the extent that I ever show bias more than I should, I apologize in advance. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to walk the walk just like everybody else. Now, this week, later on, we'll have as our guest uh, my friend Charles Showalter, who is an expert on VA. And because this is our special Memorial Day show, we are going to talk about the Veterans Administration. Of course, it was in the news terrifically in 2015 and uh, a major topic of the presidential election last year. So Charles is the perfect guy to have on. He's uh, producing and hosting a show called Vets Voice, which is intended to get a channel of communication out to veterans, uh, people who love veterans, and the rest of us who may not have served but have a debt that we can never fully repay to the people that did. But first, let's break for some news. Uh, The House Republican bill that was passed about a week ago was finally uh, scored by the Congressional Budget Office, and uh, without it being much of a surprise, it was just as big a disaster as the first one. You may recall that the House Republicans didn't wait for the Congressional Budget Office to score their new bill before they voted on it, because they knew what was coming, and they didn't want to lose their fragile majority. Remember, they only won by two votes on that vote, and then they all scampered over to the White House, Rose Garden, to have a big party, spike the football, and otherwise, and waited a week for the Congressional Budget Office to come out with the bad news, which is essentially that instead of having roughly 22 or 23 million Americans without health insurance or access to health care in 10 years, we're going to have 50 million because the House Republicans decided they would rather vote for a big tax cut for the wealthy. And if you're going to do that, that means you don't have the money to pay for everything else. So, of course, the poor are the first to go. So let's cut them loose. And that's what the House bill has done. And the Congressional Budget Office has absolutely uh, confirmed that. We're all still waiting for the Democrats to get in the game. Bernie Sanders said that he was going to be introducing a Medicare for All bill sometime a couple of months ago. And we finally figured out what's going on. It seems that there are some uh, Senate Democrats who just aren't ready to 
to do it. There's there's too much pressure on them, and we know it's principally from healthcare um, companies, healthcare insurers, uh, pharmacy companies, people like that. So it is um, it's no surprise. But hopefully we'll we'll get going with that. So we are going to come back in just a few. A minute, it's actually a minute and a half or so, with some commentary and analysis. So please join us. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food, cook it, store it, share it, just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com, brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. And welcome everyone back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk. And this week our special guest in a little bit will be Charles Showalter, who is an expert on the Veterans Administration programs. He actually uh, has is hosting and, and producing a show called Vets Voice, a radio program and podcast to try and uh, educate not just veterans but all of us about the, uh, the Veterans Administration. Of course, uh, this show being called Healthcare Politics, it's hard to get more into that topic than to be talking about the Veterans Administration. So we're, we certainly welcome Charles and look forward to him joining us in the studio uh, in just a, a few minutes. But before we do that, I wanted to turn our attention to what's happening in California. And it is important to do that because the way things are going in Washington, I'm sorry to say, it seems unlikely that the Democrats will actually have a chance to get a Medicare for All bill considered by the House and Senate. When this year started, you may recall we elected a president, uh, or at least the Electoral College elected a president, president who campaigned on promises to expand the scope of health care in this country, certainly not take people off of Medicaid, not attack Medicare. He promised to reduce drug prices. He promised to find ways to lower the cost of health care insurance without lowering the quality of health care insurance. He promised that the deductibles would go down. And once again, at no point did he say that he was going to pull out of 
the health insurance uh, system the promises of the patient protection part of the Patient Protection Act. The patient protection part is the part that disciplines and regulates the insurance companies to keep them from doing things like kicking people off when they actually get sick. Uh, Before the Affordable Care Act and the Patient Protection Act, the thing that a lot of people call Obamacare, before that, insurance companies were free to sell policies that didn't cover very much, but they could say they were cheap, and and you thought you were in good shape until you actually needed health care and found out that the policy you'd been paying for wasn't so good. They also uh, reserved the, the right to throw people off. If you started getting treatments for cancer, chemotherapy and things, insurance companies had the right to just throw you off the insurance. It didn't matter if you were paying your premiums. It didn't matter at all. They just weren't going to cover you. And the Patient Protection Act, among many other things, protected patients from things like that. Well, it looks like the House uh, Republicans and may, and it seems unfortunately likely that Senate Republicans are going to gut many of the patient protection parts of the act. They're going to kick people off by the millions. The Congressional Budget Office came out with its analysis of uh, Trump Care 2.0, and sure enough, in the first year, if that thing actually passed, in the first year, 14 million Americans would lose their access to health care. Now, that's, that's horrible. When you, because it's not just money, it's, it's personal suffering. And these are the people who frankly can't afford. These, are on, these people are on primarily on Medicaid. They cannot afford to pay for insurance. So it's a mystery what the rationale is for that. But, but let's take it even a step further. The, the House Republicans and the Senate Republicans claim they want to create jobs. When you kick 14 million people off of the Medicaid expansion, that translates to about one and a half million jobs that you've also destroyed because somebody has to provide those health care services. And it takes about one person or 1.5 people per 10 to provide all the services to take care of everybody else. And that may seem high to you, but that's just how the math works out. So what the Republicans are doing and what the Senate seems to be inclined to do, the Senate Republicans, is a massive job-killing exercise disguised as health care reform. So out in California, they've realized that this is coming. California, of course, has the most population in the country, I think about 40 million people. They are actually working on a single-payer Medicare-type bill for all, very controversial. And just this past week, the first uh, analysis of that came out. In other words, what's it going to cost? And uh, I hope you're sitting down. The cost is $400 million, or billion, I'm sorry, $400 billion per year. But that's just the first number. And it doesn't take into account the fact that the money's going to come to a great extent from taking the federal dollars that California is entitled to anyway for Medicaid and CHIP and other programs of that sort. That's about half the money right there. So that's money that California has just decided it, it may want to use in a different way. Then you look at all the money that the employers are already spending, including California itself, to buy health insurance. If, if the California bill passes, none of the companies in California will have to worry about buying health insurance for their employees. 
Now, just imagine if you if you have a small business or even a large business in California, and all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about negotiating every year for health insurance for your employees. You don't have to go to your employees and, and make them contribute more money to it. Uh, now, you are on the same footing, the same com- international competitive footing with your with the people that are fighting against you from Japan and uh, the UK, all the EU countries. Uh, it's just going to be a wonderful job-creating exercise in California because it will mean that everybody's covered. The plan in California also would eliminate co-pays and deductibles. Now, that's really important because a lot of people, particularly uh, low-income people, don't go to the doctor or hospital when they should because they can't even afford the copay and deductible. And there's it, for the people that say, well, you have to charge a copay or you have to charge a deductible because otherwise uh, people will abuse going to the doctor and hospital, to them I, I say what I always say. Have you ever taken a sick child to the doctor? Is that something you would do for fun? Have you ever gone to the hospital emergency room? Is that something you would do for fun? You don't go because of the pleasure of this thing. You go because you have to. And when you go, there's a lot of expense to just simply taking a sick child to the doctor. You have to miss time from work. You have to get there. If you don't have a car, you have to take public transportation or or pay for a taxi or an Uber or something. There's all sorts of expense and inconvenience to the average patient just getting to the place where the healthcare will be provided. You don't also have to put a toll booth at the door and say, well, you can't come in unless you pay $20, $50, or $100. So part of the, the genius of the California plan is that they eliminate that. Now, keep in mind, California, in addition to being the largest population state in our country, it's also a powerhouse internationally from an economic point of view. It actually ranks, just California by itself, in the world, sixth, sixth in economic power. That puts it between the United Kingdom and France. Both countries, interestingly, the United Kingdom and France, have universal health care systems. And so it, it makes perfect sense for California to do the same thing. When people say, well, you can't afford to do it, then you, uh, you need to think twice about that because other countries can do it, and if they can do it, we can do it. So I think what you're going to find out is it's the, the price tag also doesn't have to be $400 billion because that number assumes we can do nothing about these exorbitant drug prices. And despite having promised throughout the presidential campaign that he was going to do something about getting the pharmacy companies to charge Americans the same amount that they charge people in Canada and the United Kingdom and Denmark and places like that, uh, this president hasn't lifted a finger to do that, and nor have the House Republicans included anything like that in their, their proposal. But if, Cal- if California can do something with their buying power, being the sixth largest economy in the world, then they can bring down those prices. Prices will also come down for health care from the sheer simplicity of a single-payer system. Instead of a hospital having to bill 
dozens of different health insurance companies and wait around for payment and all that sort of thing. They'll just have one. So uh, as you may recall, the very first show we did in this program was 100 Reasons Why Single Payer Works. And we don't have time to do the 100 Reasons again, but if you go to California and look at what they're doing, and you can go to a website called One plan my choice.com that's one plan my choice all one one word dot com and you can get the details so go california and we're going to follow that and in fact in a couple of weeks we're going to have somebody from california uh, to come on the show and help fill us in on how it's going but we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll be joined by charles showalter and we'll talk all about the veterans administration and how we can better take care of the people we owe so much to this is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope, I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow, but what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov slash communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait, communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just wanna say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. 
If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And joining us this week as our guest for the rest of the hour is Charles Showalter. And Charles is a dear friend and fellow journalist who many of you listening to this show uh, know very well through his programs, which include uh, the Union Edge, the Labor's Voice. And more uh, recently, he's initiated a new program called Vets Voice. And that's because Charles is a veteran himself who has taken a tremendous interest in the cause of veterans. Uh, he also has served with the TSA, and we may get into that, but he also was a leader in the organization of the TSA employees so that they would get a fair deal at a time when you know, there was some question whether we were going to just treat the people who are most essential to our security and travel as if they were just uh, rent-a-cops. And if it weren't for the people that stepped up to organize uh, the TSA and uh, make sure that this was a professional organization and that the people in it were treated like professionals, and and Charles is one of those, uh, who knows where we would be or whether we'd be as safe as we have been, knock on wood. So, I would like to once again welcome Charles uh, in the studio. It's it's his own studio, so I'm welcoming him to the guest chair instead of the the chair that I'm occupying right now. Charles, thank you so much for joining us, and I want to uh, just ask you to share with us. We've got time, so let's let's relax a little bit. Share with us your own military experience. Well, Steve. Uh Back in 1982, I joined the United States Air Force Reserve, spent about 18 months in the reserves, went on active duty. My first duty assignment was a very, very difficult duty assignment as a uh, law enforcement officer for the Air Force. It was at Tyndall Air Force Base, Panama City, Florida. Okay. That was a very difficult assignment. Um, the, the, the actual beach was only about 300 yards away from my barracks. Uh, the fishing down there was just, you know, it, it, it's every time you, ca- you, you cast a lure in the water, you're pulling a fish back out. And, of course, there's always spring break. So it was a very difficult assignment, first assignment for me. But um, after that, I went off to Germany. Uh, I was part of the ground launch cruise missile program, which was part of Ron Reagan's um, start talks. It was a bargaining chip, and uh, we put uh, we managed to put uh, sixteen uh, BGM one hundred and nine cruise missiles. Uh, into the field and uh, properly secure them, so on and so forth. But uh, that was a long, involved process. I ended up retraining, becoming a forward air controller, and was assigned to 3rd Armored Division. Forward air controller is the Air Force guy that lives and sleeps with the Army folks and brings uh, airplanes for the Army to uh, control, do controlled uh, close air support airstrikes. After that, uh, I left the military uh, on, off of active duty, went in, back into the reserves, uh, and went to work for the Department of uh, the Air Force as a civilian and then ended up working for the Immigration and Naturalization Service Council um, or the Immigration Service. From there, I um, was an immigration inspector by trade. And I, I ended up uh, becoming the national president for the Department of Homeland Security 
uh, folks. Um, I was responsible to all of the uh, American Federation of Government Employee members, with the exception of the Border Patrol and Customs. Um, so that was a very interesting thing. A lot of veterans, a lot of good people working there. Um, very concerned about uh, a myriad of things. Uh, you touched very uh, basically on that when TSA was first stood up, uh, when they moved them from the private sector to the uh, to the government sector as an inherently governmental function, uh, the Bush administration decided that they should not have collective bargaining that would be counter to national security. And I, I, I we pled the case, and, and the American public believed us and, and supported us in this. Look, if you can have cops, firemen, and paramedics, if you can have Border Patrol agents and FBI agents and um, Secret Service agents, all with various levels of union protections, um, if you can have uh, immigration and naturalization service officers and enforcement officers all in the union, then the TSA folks should be in the union too. And all the union does is make sure that due process is followed. Um, anybody that's been in the military understands that due process with the Uniform Code of Military Justice, that's a given. There are procedures. There are, um, you don't deviate from those procedures. Um, and you just follow along with the way that things are supposed to be done. Uh, it should be the same thing um, in the private sector. Um, you know, if we have a, a, an employee handbook, you follow the employee handbook. You don't deviate from that. Um, in the public sector with the government employees, you've got a contract with the employees. You've got a outline on how things should be done, and um, you should follow that. I mean, that's what everybody agrees to. Well, everybody can, can hear in your voice the passion you have for working people. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's tremendous. But but you you've taken that part of your professionalism and extended it to veterans. Oh yeah. As well. So you you now have a show. Well, tell first I mean a lot of people served in the military and they sort of forget about it after they leave. You haven't. Why not? What what is it about veterans and, and their service that, that sticks with you so so sincerely? Well, I think a, a lot of people, they, they may not talk about their military service a lot, but they don't forget about it. Uh, there is a camaraderie uh, within the military service. Um, 1% of the population has served in the military. Currently in the United States, there are 22 million veterans living. Um, there are unique circumstances that they go through in the transition back to civilian life. And I have to tell you, myself included, oftentimes men and women, when they are leaving the military service, are not paying attention to all the benefits that are available to them. Um, they're not paying attention to some of the things that they should be doing to protect themselves down the road. Um, there is a program in the military called the Transition Assistance Program. It's pretty universal throughout all of the military. And, but what the TAPS program does is it talks about some of the things you should be doing. You know, how do you register and secure your DD-214, your, your discharge paperwork? If you, if you lose your 214 or your discharge papers, it used to be very, very difficult to get those replaced. Now it's better. The military is doing a better job, the civil, and uh, a lot of that is because of many of the civilians that work for the military. Those people oftentimes were military members themselves, they're veterans themselves, and they want to continue to serve the government and the people 
of the United States through civil service after military service. Well, we have, we're celebrating in this particular show Memorial Day, and we still hear, sadly, every few days of uh, typically, typically a special forces person in the Middle East uh, passing away in, in some mm-hmm. fight that the military doesn't want to talk about very much. What we don't hear about, because it's, it's become such old news that it's no longer news, is the 20 to 25 veterans a day who are committing suicide. Right. And so when we talk about Memorial Day, we have to realize that for those men and women, the war never ended, and they never did reassimilate. And shame on us for letting that happen. Uh, we're going to take a break here, Charles, in just a, a minute or two. And you've been pretty modest about your contribution. And I'm sure uh, those of us who lived through Vietnam and were, were pretty uh, mean to the men and women who served in that war have been trying to make up for it ever since by thanking people who served. And so on behalf of all the listeners, thank you for your service. We're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to really take a deep dive into what's right and what's wrong with the VA from the medical side of things. So this is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. We'll be right back. Leading experts on philanthropy are urging big foundations to get off the sidelines of the health care debate. They're calling for amplified voices to address the deep Medicaid cuts in President Trump's new budget proposal and the American Health Care Act. A policy brief from the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy urges funders to get engaged, especially those who advocate for better health outcomes across all races and income levels. Kevin Prindeville with the nonprofit legal advocacy group Justice in Aging says it isn't enough to simply react if Congress manages to overturn Obamacare. It is absolutely critical that funders get involved right now. This is the moment where we need advocacy, where we need action, because the stakes cannot be higher. On Wednesday, the Congressional Budget Office said the latest version of the bill would cause 23 million Americans to lose health insurance over the next 10 years. But supporters of the bill say it will bring down the deficit, lower premiums for younger people, and free consumers from the government mandate to buy health insurance. Daniel Zingali, with a private foundation called the California Endowment, says his organization is supporting dozens of groups that are helping vulnerable people make their voices heard. We have a responsibility to make sure those 20-plus million people are included in the conversation. Their experiences should be brought to the attention of policymakers. Uh, We need to hear from the people who have the most at stake in some of the things that are threatening to happen from Washington, D.C. Singali notes that the AHCA would allow insurance companies to charge people ages 50 to 64 up to five times more than younger people for their health coverage. And it would no longer force insurers to take a person's ability to pay into account when setting premiums. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver. But I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. They got no covers. And we are back. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk and our special guest, uh, well known to most of you listening, is Charles Showalter. And today, Charles is our special guest because he is an expert on the Veterans Administration and hosts a radio show called Vets Voice, which is gaining some traction and listenership, and and I think it will be a very popular show, just like uh, Union Edge has been and continues to be. But I invited him on our show, Healthcare Politics, because what could be more political than how we treat our vets and the Veterans Administration? And so I thank him for joining us. I also want to thank our national sponsor, Pair Networks. Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain registration, pair.com. That's P-A-I-R dot com. Charles, before we took the break from the last segment, I said we're going to devote the next uh, part of this show to a discussion of what is right and what is wrong with the Veterans Administration with regard to the health services. And so let's, let's start simple. Uh, who is eligible for health care services through the Veterans Administration? Uh, first off, Steve, let me say thank you for having me. I appreciate it. An expert on the VA hospital system, I'm not sure about, but I probably know most than, uh, more than many. Um, so with the best effort I, I can muster, uh, the individuals that are eligible for the VA hospital system or the the VA system as a whole are um, veterans that have been discharged from active duty or reserve components that are eligible that um, have served either honorably or other in other than honorable conditions. Uh, somebody with a uh, dishonorable discharge is not eligible in most cases for VA benefits. In preparing for today's discussion, I went online, and according to the Veterans Administration website, it has 152 hospitals mm-hmm. across the country, 152. It has 800 community-based clinics, uh, 126 nursing homes, and it it claims that roughly 60% of the doctors trained in the United States get at least part of their training by serving in a VA hospital or clinic. Right. So uh, that is uh, amazing. By itself, the Veterans Administration is one of the largest, if not the largest, healthcare uh, company, you could say, in the mm-hmm. world. Right. 22 million veterans currently in the United States eligible for VA benefits. Oftentimes, um, 
not every veteran uh, participates, um, but those veterans that do participate, participate multiple times throughout the year. Now, there has been tremendous controversy, and I, I mentioned a little earlier in the show that back in, I think it was 2015, uh, just all heck broke, broke loose. Right. Uh, there, were, there were multiple reports, I think they originated out of uh, Arizona originally, where veterans were waiting a absurdly long period of time to get that first visit. Mm-hmm. And and the managers, at least the accusation was, the managers were covering that up because their performance bonuses were based in part on how well they were processing people through the system. And once it came out that uh, the veterans or that the Arizona Veterans Administration facilities had this problem, the the word began to leak out from other locations that it was also happening there. And of course. Uh, a lot of Congress people stood up and very uh, sanctimoniously declared that this was not right, it's not fair. Never once did they say, and it's our fault because we haven't properly funded the Veterans right. Administration. They just blamed other people. So, right. <laughs> you know, you, I know you were a student of that whole thing. Tell us what happened, and have we made any progress? Where are we t- two years later? We, we have made progress. Um, and let me, let me take you back to 15 years ago, shortly after 9-11. Um, we had a major ramp up of U.S. military members uh, being deployed to Afghanistan, to Iraq, and to other places. Uh, medical technology and medical procedures and training have gotten better since the days of when I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, back in the days of Vietnam. Um, injuries that would have killed people um, as recently as the, the late 90s uh, for Desert Shield, Desert Storm or I'm sorry, uh, for 91, um, are no longer killing military members. Um, But those members that do survive those incidents have a higher level of uh, recovery. It's longer recovery. It's more difficult recovery. Um, Some of the injuries are lifelong lasting. Um, These are things that we have not seen before. Um, the amount of traumatic amputations, uh, the amount of uh, TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, um, and PTSD have all grown. Um, unfortunately, while we were sending young men and women into harm's way at much higher levels, we were not preparing to re- have them return. We were not preparing to have them return and get the medical treatment that they needed here in the United States. Um, Very quickly um, after Afghanistan and Iraq started, uh, forward operating locations for military members and their health care, like Lonstall and other places, were quickly overwhelmed. Uh, There were many people in the U.S. military that ended up going to German hospitals, and a lot of people don't know that. Upon returning to the United States, uh, U.S. military hospitals here in the United States, places like Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, were also overwhelmed. Um, The VA hospital system was quickly overwhelmed because they did not expand the capacity they needed to treat the increase of returning veterans. So that's a very difficult thing. Um, That's part of the problem. 
Um, we had managers, and, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little concerned all the way around about um, performance-based bonuses when it's not part of a collective bargaining agreement. But the long and short of that is, is the VA hospital system was not prepared for the increased level of people using the system. It didn't have the resources, and unfortunately, over the last five years or so, with sequestration, VA hospital has had even less resources to work with, and we've even had members of Congress saying things like, we don't like what you're doing, so we're going to take funding away from you. Well, that's... That's typical congressional measure. You you punish the person who needs more help by taking away the little help they have. Right. Uh, but I've been reading that there are 40,000, 45,000 openings in the yes. Veterans Administration. Right. How How is that possible? This is because of sequestration. They weren't permitted. They did not have the funding to fill the manpower slots. And approximately 30,000 of those manpower slots that we're talking about were support structure slots. They were the folks that did maintenance in the buildings. They were the folks that did non-medical type things, uh, administrative things, so on and so forth. The key here is that 15,000 medical slots that were unfilled. That's doctors, nurses, med techs, so on and so forth. You well, know, let me just interrupt. Uh, it, that's an interesting number because... The number of jobs that the Keystone Pipeline is supposed to create, albeit temporarily, because mm-hmm. once the thing's built, it's built, the number of jobs is about 30,000. Right. And the president went just about did somersaults and, and, and shot off fireworks over the White House when he signed the executive orders that would allow that thing to go forward. Here we are with him claiming that the veterans are the very first thing on his mind and all we need is for Congress to uh, pass a bill, and I'm sure it would be uh, both sides would support it, to free up the funds so we can hire those 30,000, 45,000 people. Some of that has been done. Unfortunately, not enough of that has been done. And here's one of the things I want to say. Um, there is a dichotomy between the ability to get into the medical facility and get treatment and the quality of treatment that you receive when you're there. And I'll tell you what, we're going to keep that thought. Okay. And that's where we'll start when we come back after break. This is Steve Larchuk. This week we have with us as our special guest, Charles Showalter. We're talking about the Veterans Administration healthcare system. Join us when we come back from the, the break. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. It takes a village to help save the planet. That's the message one Pennsylvania township is hoping to send with its resolution on climate change. Through his work at Penn State's Sustainability Institute, Peter Buckland is keenly aware of the impacts of climate change that already are being felt around the world and here in Pennsylvania. So in his role as a supervisor in Ferguson Township, he has introduced a resolution which, if adopted, will require the township to develop a strategy for achieving net-zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. I think that it is absolutely incumbent on elected officials who understand the risks 
threats and opportunities of climate change to take action. It is our duty. It's our responsibility to do it. The resolution is expected to come up for a vote of the Ferguson Township's Board of Supervisors at its meeting on June 19th. The township itself could take steps to meet its own energy needs with clean sources such as solar almost immediately. Buckland says it also can encourage businesses within the township to join in the effort. There are things that we can do through zoning, for example, to encourage low-impact development and encourage the adoption of green building practices. He notes that if the state were to pass property-assessed clean energy legislation, then the township could give businesses municipally-backed loans for clean energy development. Buckland says the resolution he's introduced already has inspired residents of neighboring townships to take similar action. Citizens from Harris, Patton College, and Half Moon Townships and the State College Borough, they're already talking about taking the resolution as it's written right now to their own township. Buckland adds that moves by the Trump administration to abandon the fight against climate change have added a sense of urgency to local actions to reduce carbon emissions. For Keystone State News Connection, I'm Andrea Sears. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin! Look at us, we're over here! Justin, Justin! OMG! He just looked... I love you, Justin! I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true. I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And welcome back, everyone, to a special Memorial Day edition of Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This week we're talking about the Veterans Administration, which makes perfect sense, and I have as my special guest Charles Showalter, the host of Vets Voice. And before we took our last break, he was telling us about the dichotomy between getting in and what happens once you are in to the system, the VA system. So why don't you finish that thought, Charles? Okay, Steve. Thanks very much. Uh, first off, let me say one thing about the VA hospital system. Approximately 40% of the employees within the VA hospital are veterans themselves. 
Another 25% are family members of veterans. There is a high degree of uh, commonality, uh, joint uh, perception, so on and so forth, between the people working in the VA hospitals and the people that receive the care, the veterans themselves. Categorically, and let me be very clear about this, close to 90% of veterans in the United States, close to 90% of the veterans in the United States, that's about 19 million people, have very clearly said they do not want the VA hospital system to go away. Mm -hmm. They want the VA hospital system to be fully funded, fully manned, and fully supported by our elected officials. They are unequivocal about that. This is Democrats, Republicans, Independents, veterans of all ages, of all wars, and all theaters. They want the VA hospital system to be supported. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. Now, the problem is we talked about the massive influx of people coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and it overwhelmed the VA hospital system. It overwhelmed the VA hospital system on the administrative side. You could not get in to get an appointment to get started. Obviously, if you were in a predicament and you showed up at the emergency room for the VA hospital, you're going to get treatment. Once you get into the VA hospital system, vets overwhelmingly approve at higher levels than any private sector hospital in this country. Veterans approve at higher levels of their VA hospital system and the quality of care and the quality of the people giving that care than any other hospital system in the country. Let me say that in another way. Vets love the VA hospital more than anybody else loves their hospital. And if, But the danger is that there are forces in Congress who really would like to privatize the Veterans Administration. Right, right. And now we, we hear the argument, oh, we have to take care of our veterans. We're going to privatize this. We're going to give them vouchers. Well, the vouchers aren't for crap. Okay, That's a technical term. That's everybody. a technical term. And on top of that, many times when you get a voucher, you're going to a place where they don't have experience dealing with veterans. They don't have experience in dealing with ailments and illnesses coming out of a combat zone like Iraq and Afghanistan. They're not veterans. They don't have the commonality of experience. And oh my God, they've never seen something like this before. That's the problem. Veterans treating veterans in a VA hospital have the commonality of experience. They've seen it before a dozen times. They know what it is. They know how to treat it. And oh, by the way, they can talk to you about all kinds of things from the Stars and Stripes newspaper to where to get the best Jaeger schnitzel in Frankfurt. So that commonality is very important. Again, I, I, I cannot reiterate this enough. The people working in the VA hospital system are the very best, the brightest, the vanguard of people who should be treating veterans. Charles, tell us about Vets Voice. What, what is the, the mission of Vets Voice? Vets Voice Radio's mission is to educate the public 
on veterans' issues and what's really going on. That's cut through the congressman saying we have to privatize the VA hospital system because the guy who's writing my campaign contribution check wants to get in on that money. We need to get past that. We need to also encourage our veterans, number one, yeah, we know you're tough, we know you eat snakes, and we know that you get, you know, you get it. But you know what? It's okay to get help. And the best place for a vet to get help is at the VA hospital systems. Talk to your brothers and sisters that are veterans themselves. They're going to support you. Again, we talked a little bit about the transition assistance program. We've got a lot of vets that just can't wait to get back home. And they blow off the meetings and they don't think about it. And now six months or a year later, they've say, they're saying to themselves, how am I supposed to do this? So this is what we're here for. We're working with veteran service organizations like the VFW, the American Legion, the DAV, and others. We're working with the Veterans Administration Hospitals themselves uh, and other organizations like uh, the Veterans Leadership Program. The Union Edge, um, I'm sorry, the Vets Voice Radio is here to help. So if you need something, reach out to us. My telephone number is there. And if you need the help, reach out to a vet. And oh, by the way, folks, when you got a job and you need to hire somebody, hire a vet. All right. Well, Charles, thank you so much. Uh, we could go on and on and on and, not, and barely scratch the surface of this topic, but it's it's obviously uh, the case that the Veterans Administration is delivering the service, but it has some problems uh, processing people as they're coming in, and they're underfunded, and they're understaffed. And Congress, it's up to you. Don't Don't make speeches about how you love veterans and then not lift a finger to fix things. And when we come back from break, I have one more thing to say on that subject. But before we take that break, Charles, thank you very much. Thank you for your service. And thank you for Vets Voice, which is going to be an important part of people's lives. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. We'll be right back. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. 
Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Sing a pegger is what it's called. And many, many, many thanks to everyone that joined us for this special Memorial Day edition of Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. It has been a pleasure and an honor to have as our guest this week, Charles Showalter, producer and host of Veteran of Vets Voice, a syndicated radio show and a veteran himself. Uh, before we close the loop on that, I just want to observe that the problem is not solved with the Veterans Administration. Just a couple of months ago, there were stories about the VA hospital in Washington, D.C., of all places, Washington, D.C., which was having critical shortages of supplies for dialysis and for surgeries. And it, it's, it's beyond excuse. And I should also point out that our president, in all the time he's been in office, although he's found time to go golfing 15 or 20 times, has so far made exactly one trip to a veteran's hospital. And that was well covered by the media. He made sure that the cameras were there. Mr. President, you can't say you love veterans and then ignore them so you can play golf. This is Steve Larchuk, and thank you very much to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration. The music on our show is provided courtesy of Mike Stout. We thank our booker, Dr. Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. And remember the, the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Please visit Healthcare Politics. That's healthcare-politics.com. And this has been Steve Larchuk with Healthcare Politics, a production of Dare to be Reasonable Media. See you next week. This is where we evolved From infant mortality to our lifespan We're 37th in the world I think we need a better plan Money-hungry insurers, pharmaceutical greed Outrageous coping